The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Trending, we are joined by Michael Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, and of course our regular movie person, Ro McDermott, who was also advice columnist with the Irish Times. Now, let's start with the identity of who is Alice Doyle, Mick? Alice Doyle, Matt, is the new uh, deputy president of the Irish Farmers Association. And I have to say, I was surprised when I saw that she is the first woman to hold the post for the first time in history, as it's put down, as we know, the Irish Farmers Association is there since, I think, around the 70s. There was the National Farmers Association before that. I'm fairly sure even in the National Farmers Association there wasn't a woman deputy president. It's a bit surprising in this day and age because notwithstanding traditions and that, I think there are an awful lot of women in farming uh, today. So surprising that it took this long well, before. Mick, there's always been a lot of women in farming. That is, <laughs> that, is that is actually very true. The, the, the principle, so to speak, in farming. And I think it's really important that uh, Alice Doyle, she's also been the chairperson of the Family Social Affairs Committee and she's done a lot of work around campaigning about the health of families that farm and really about integrating the idea of family within the farming community. And I think what's so important is so many farms are dying out because, you know, children aren't taking over. And I think it's really important for young women who might grow, particularly more rural communities when they're surrounded um, by farms, of them seeing themselves in committees like this and saying, you know, it is possible for me to be really important to this community and be visibly important to this community because of course women are the backbone of these families and of these farms and to have that recognition is really important so that women, you know, if they believe they want to take over a farm or be more visible in the community that they have role models to follow. So very belated but a very good news. I always feel a little bit sorry for Fancy Gorman elected as the new president because we're not even mentioning him because we're mentioning the woman who's becoming the deputy president. But I wonder, are there many other roles in Irish life where they haven't yet had women as the leader. I mean, we've obviously had President Mary Robinson and President McAleese mm. in the ultimate roles, but I suppose the obvious one is Taoiseach. Taoiseach. <laughs> or another one I was thinking of, a sort of more voluntary organisation. Host of the last word. I don't think we've seen a woman in that position yet. That's, That's true. Well, you have on occasions and I'm not here. Uh, the Gaelic Athletic Association. Yeah, yeah. that's true actually. And that's the thing I would suggest it will change pretty soon. The FAI, because they've recently yeah. gone through this thing where and they've bo- had to be... Bo- where sporting organisations now have to have 40% of their board membership has to be female. Yeah. At least 40%. I think the IRFU have said that they're getting it sorted out. I think it's been done. And the FAI has had to make that arrangement to make sure that it continues to get government funding. And I think we're seeing that, you know, when these changes are implemented, like even if you look at women's football in the United States, and there was such, I think there was such a pathetic resistance to women's football getting more funding and getting more media coverage. And now there are so many more men tuning into women's football. There's so much money support. But again, they're so important for young girls who might be discouraged from going into sports or mightn't feel comfortable to have these role models. So the changes can happen incrementally, but they can have these huge impacts on culture. But culture, I mean, isn't it the case that for many organisations, particularly voluntary organisations, that until recent times the role of the women was to make the sandwiches and serve the tea. Well, I think that was the role that was perceived to be the women's role, which is why they weren't recognised. But so many volunteer organisations and charities and community centres are run by women. Like, women are the heart of so many communities, but they don't get the official recognition. Um, Possibly because there are cultural issues that make men go for the positions of power within those communities. And again, because women's skills are overlooked 
respect and devalued in the same way that, you know, women, we have the referendum will be coming up next year about the constitution and recognising, you know, women's place in the home and raising that gendered language. But I think it's also going to be really important to say that women still do the majority of domestic work, care work, childcare. And so how can you recognise that and not devalue it, uh, which is really important. So having women visible is important, but also recognising the invisible or less visible work is really important culturally. I mean, when you think about it, it was only 1973, which is only 50 years ago, that prior to that, uh, a woman in a state job had to give up the job yeah. once she married. Yeah, the marriage ban, as it was yeah, called, wasn't marriage it? Ban. Yeah. It's quite amazing when you think about it, like in, in the context of today, you know. Of course, this country was behind the rest of Western Europe and the developed world to, to a large extent at that point and, and for a couple of decades after it. But it's amazing when you look at it in terms of today, like... Yeah, listener says Donegal GA County Board has a female chairperson for the first time. Cork has had a female chairperson in recent That's years. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, I suppose we mention it because it's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. It is, as you said, apart from the 40% um, quota on boards, women's Gaelic football in particular, I think it's one of the fastest growing um, games in the country. Of course, I'm just as little listener has reminded me, it's not just any woman who's become the first female chairperson of the Donegal GA County Board. It's the former Sonista, Mary Coughlin. Remember her? I do remember. Probably I didn't realise that she was chair of the county board. Fair she play, just literally got the job, I think, in the last few days. Very good, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, talking about sport, Gary Lineker, the host of Match of the Day on the BBC, has had some year of it, hasn't he, because of his tweets. He was stood down earlier in the year and then on the weight of public opinion brought back. But I see Tory activists are still going for him. They are. He, he signed his name to an open letter that uh, basically said the, the, the government's obnoxious, you ask me, Rwanda plan mm. should be scrapped. And as a result of that, some of the Tory uh, MPs went after him and Gary Lineker then took to Twitter. He ridiculed Grand Schnapps and uh, a couple of others as well. And he's a few sarcastic tweets he sent out and uh, apparently the, the honchos in the BBC are talking to him again. Like, it's difficult to know what to make of it. I mean, in, in terms of his position politically, I'd be absolutely 100% square behind him. But he is the highest paid presenter, 1.35 million, I guess, for presenting match of the day. And then he weighs into this. I, I don't know. But hold on, aren't these, aren't, these, sorry, aren't these Tory MPs sort of snowflakes in a sense that they're always going on and banging on about freedom of speech and we're not allowed to say anything. Mm-hmm. But once anything, anyone true. says anything that they don't like, they're the ones who want to shut up the opposition. That's they're the ones who are far worse for trying to shut up other people. Yeah. No question. So the, the problem is that what's perceived as the BBC's role I suppose, is the problem with the whole thing. But I think what's remarkable is that Gary Lineker is not a news presenter. Yeah. He's a sports pundit. And also, he's not a BBC staffer. He is a freelancer. And what was fascinating to me about the last News of the Match debacle was that the BBC released new guidelines uh, to say what presenters and people on the BBC could put on their social media profiles and say publicly. And it covered staff, but also freelancers. So what happens if you're a freelancer for the BBC, uh, but you also do work for ITV, you also do work for Channel 4, you also do work for radio stations, and part of your other responsibilities is to state publicly, have public opinions, have political opinions, Opinions, then does the BBC who don't give you benefits of being a full-time employee, don't give you benefits of being staff, they get to decide 
what you get to say publicly. I think that's incredibly dangerous. But I will also say that the head of BBC, uh, Tim Davies, who's uh, BBC's Director General, uh, when Gary Lineker released his first tweet and he compared the government's language on immigration to that used in 1930s Germany, the BBC's Director General said, we all have a responsibility to treat people with civility and respect, particularly at a time when public debate and discussion both on and offline can be so polarised. He demanded civility about Gary Lineker's tweets and not these bills that are about shipping really vulnerable refugees away because Britain, like Britain's government is incredibly racist. That is remarkable to me. And Mick, it's extraordinary that you know we went through the whole Brexit thing and we had some fairly extreme headbangers and British Tories who had a disproportionate influence over the government. They're all the same heads who are back again, aren't they? Who are now leading this charge and claiming that, oh, we've been stopped from doing this by European Court of Human Rights, all the rest of it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the same thing, the, the, the same hymn sheet they're singing from. And, you know, it's, it's nearly as if they can't come to accept that they were wrong in terms of the well-being of Britain's economy and by extension its society, that everything now was focused on this Mick, whole... they weren't wrong. They were just stopped from implementing the Brexit <laughs> they wanted by these all these Europhiles. Yeah, the Europhiles have stopped them all from outside the country, no question about it. But I mean, it's fascinating to watch from the point of view of how deep in denial a group of people can go uh, on the basis of this thing, Britannia... Britannia, unfortunately, doesn't rule the waves anymore for them, it it seems, even though they thought she would. I think it's so interesting to come back to that point of noticing how far Ireland has come on issues of gender and issues of equality and how far we've progressed. And I'll never forget, Finch O'Toole had a column last year and he said the huge issues that are impacting Britain and America today is that Britain and America are obsessed with the idea of nostalgia, of we once had an empire, like we once were in this glory days of the 1950s where women and black people didn't have any rights and wasn't that glorious. And Ireland, because of the Catholic Church, because of oppression, because of the famine, because of colonisation, we don't have that same sense of nostalgia and so we're really focused on reframing our identity and choosing the identity and moving forward and Britain and America are just getting sucked back into these incredibly racist ideals of what it means when the country was great when who was the country great for specifically they never really answered that question it was a very limited number of people but it was great for the royal family for a long time but maybe not so much so in recent decades Mick what do you make of uh, the victory that Britain's Prince Harry has had in the courts in London today. Yeah, I mean, I have some sympathy for him because the, the, the whole phone hacking thing was appalling. A disgrace it was for really, everybody who was hacked, point, including yeah. royals. I, I, I found interesting though, in terms of Prince Harry's victory, the High Court described what he'd been a victim of of modest phone hacking. Bizarre descriptor. Yeah, I was fascinated by that. He's, he's got £140,000 pounds um, and they say he, he claimed that he'd been targeted in, I think, about 140 stories. They, it was found that he had been targeted uh, in 33 of those. And this was this was categorised as modest phone hacking that, that resulted in this. But, um, I mean, you know, fair play to him for going after it. And, and you know, the, the, there's, he divides opinion and good luck to him. But in terms of this kind of thing, I think fair play to him for going after it and putting himself up in the stand. The vitriol with which the British media, or elements of the British media, go after him is quite remarkable. I don't know if you've read his autobiography, Spare. Not yet. You said it's brilliant. It's very, very good. Well, very well written. J.D. Moheringer is an excellent ghostwriter. But you'd feel very sorry for him that, you know, this was a vulnerable young man, a young, vulnerable child at the time 
time his mother died, chased by the paparazzi and by the newspapers, and they never let up throughout his life. I think that's why the phrase that you were you were hacked to a modest degree is so offensive to me, actually, because he was talking about a 15-year period in which he, th- he believed people were hacking. It was proven that people were hacking his phones. He was under surveillance. And thinking about the 15 years where he was a teenager growing into an adult and a young boy grieving the loss of his mother, and this was going on, this constant violation and invasion of his privacy and invasion of his ability to just be a boy. Um, I think that is what is so disgusting and how normalised it was. And this is, of course, this is the Mirror Group, but just as a weird alternate history, I was listening to The Daily and they were talking about uh, Rupert Murdoch and the Murdoch Group, and it felt very succession, but they were talking about the News of the World scandal and when this all broke. And this was right after Rupert Murdoch had had a fall on a boat, and so leadership of the Murdoch Group, it was 2018, leadership of the Murdoch Group was up in the air and his younger son, James Murdoch, who cannot be described as a liberal, but is definitely more centrist, he had taken over leadership. Um, but when all the news of the world uh, news was coming out and the scandal was held, James was kind of held up as a bit of a sacrificial lamb and was ousted. And that led to the result of the Murdoch Group being sold off a lot of it to Disney. Um, but had that not happened, had James not been used as a sacrificial lamb, he might have kept control of the Murdoch group. And he had these big plans to move it away from the political leanings and move it into kind of a more liberal, progressive viewpoint. And he's also a major environmentalist. And that was 2018. Imagine if he had stayed in power, the coverage of the insurrection, the cover of the election in the United States might have been completely different. There might have been this absolute dilution of the insane Fox News madness over in the States. And it's just a weird alternate history succession episode that never came to be. Ro, tell us about Donald Trump's suit. At least the one he wore in the infamous mugshot that was taken of him when he was arrested. Yeah, so when he was arrested on August 24th to be part, as part of his fourth criminal indictment and the first former president to, to have a mugshot taken. And this picture should have been the sign of where has this all gone wrong? How do we have this former president who is getting a mugshot taken in his fourth criminal indictment? And instead, it's been turned into this glorious souvenir that you can now buy. Uh, so it's been transformed into NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, which I thought people had largely come to realise were absolute yes. nonsense. Yeah. yeah, But images of Trump uh, in his mugshot, but superimposed onto images of Captain America, of Lincoln at the Lincoln Memorial, which seems bizarre and in this very twisted American non-patriotism way, and as a golden god. And if you buy these, which are available for $99, or a full set at $4,653, you also get a scrap of the suit he was wearing when his mugshot was taken, which is the most terrifying souvenir I could possibly Bro, think you of. just brought back a bad memory to me. Sudden <laughs> flashback of being in Pyongyang in early 2014 and been brought to an exhibition in the museum that they had of foreign gifts donated to them. But on the walls were paintings of the Kims, the Kim Jong-un, his father, his grandfather, and they were all half man, half tiger, or half man, half horse. We're getting that way with Donald Trump. The fact that they're replacing a previous president, who, by the way, abolished slavery with the most racist president that they've had in a very, very long time, is terrifying to me. But it's also this idea of this memorabilia, and usually scraps of fabric. They're kind of religious curio. Padre Pio. Exactly. And so they're elevating to this level of deity, which is terrifying. This is a bit scary. I think, Mick, what Rose said is interesting. What, you know, should have been maybe the mugshot, should have been the Nadir. This has actually been a rallying point. And the Republicans are now set to actually nominate this 
individual <laughs> who tried to undermine democracy in January 6, 2021 to be their candidate. Similarly with the criminal charges. I mean, one would have thought, then you, you, you go back again to the presidential campaign and the, um, when he was caught with those comments uh, referencing women. Sexually women. assaulting women. Yeah, yeah. When, he was, when he was caught with that, one would have thought the same thing. But that was a rallying point among some of his supporters. Yeah, and the fascinating thing on one level, I mean, it's horrendously fascinating, is, you know, if this guy was somebody irrespective of him being a racist, of him being uh, totally offensive in so many ways, if he appeared to have some substance, as some of these tyrants would in an intellectual capacity or whatever, but the guy has none of that. And yet... There's a very real possibility he will be elected as president again. Which where will he be then? Because he'll do things like withdrawing the United States probably from NATO, yeah. leaving the European Union in a difficult position in facing Russia, for example, which may mean calls upon us as to our role as well and how we actually get involved in that, and just as one example. And then you look at internally in the USA, how's he going to try and deconstruct the various checks and balances they have there as... One day one, I think. And yeah, then he's, he's, back to one, he's going to be a dictator that. for a day at least, you know. So, I mean, it, it, it's a scary possibility. But it's also, Matt, to be fair, a reflection of how bad the whole political firmament has got that the, the choice facing America is between Joe Biden, a decent man, you can... You can parse his record and there, there, there's pluses and minuses in it. But somebody who quite obviously um, is beyond the age where he'd be functioning at the best capacity. And he certainly would be if you're talking about a man who'd be 86 years of age. And some people at 86 are relatively sprightly, but I don't think Joe Biden would be by the time he would finish a second term. The choice between that and this article, Trump, it's a frightening kind of scenario that it has come to that. But I also think that it's it's a completely different race now because this is not a race between politicians. This is a race between people who want to vote for a democracy and people who are in a cult of personality. And I think what was so interesting when Biden got elected, um, the fact that people didn't accept that he got elected, but I remember seeing videos of Trump supporters saying, like, you don't even care about Biden. Like, look at us with our Trump T-shirts and our, ca- our MAGA caps. Like, we love Trump. And everyone's like, and I just remember thinking, that's the point. You love Trump, whereas people who vote for Biden, very few people are passionate about Biden, yeah. but they believe in democracy and they believe in politics. You cannot beat politics with a cult of personality because no matter what he does, they have aligned themselves with him. Maybe America's always been prone to a bit of cultism, but they're doing it as well with Elon Musk, aren't they? So it was interesting to see this week, two million of his cars been recalled because the autopilot system doesn't work properly. Uh, there's a film out that's available on Netflix now called Leave the World Behind and I won't give too many spoilers because it's about kind of a dystopian event happening but there is It's a not scene. a movie you recommend to watch either is it? Unfortunately <laughs> the book is fantastic everyone go read the book um, but there is a scene where all these Tesla cars or all these self-driving cars go a bit mad and start crashing into each other and unfortunately that seems to be what is happening because two million Tesla cars have been recalled um, because there were issues with the autopilot and um, I'm really suspicious of this actually because I think Elon Musk he's just the most greedy ego driven individual and there were rumours that these issues were known about for a long time but the laws regarding self-driving cars are very different and Tesla will say that it's not meant to be a completely self-driving car it's for very specific situations like when people are driving on long highways but those laws Sorry that's not the way Musk sees it in long term he wants them to be fully autonomous driving 
But in the UK and Europe, the regulations around these cars are very, very strict. So I'm very suspicious that these cars were released knowing that a lot of countries wouldn't let them use this feature anyway. Um, and so the amount of accidents reported would be way down so they might get away with it longer. Well, I think your suspicions will be confirmed if you were to read Walter Isaacson's biography of Musk. Do you have anything to add in this to finish, Michael Clifford? No, other than Musk and Trump, where are we heading at all? A uh, listener here says, if Trump gets the majority of votes, that's democracy, obviously. Hang on. A majority of votes. He didn't get them against Hillary Clinton, did he? It was what he won under the electoral system that, that they have. That is their system that disproportionately yeah. small states have a far greater And then when Biden won under democracy, who didn't accept that? Trump supporters, and they launched an insurrection. They do not support democracy, and let's not pretend they do. Thank you very much, Ro McDermott, Michael Clifford. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.